Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. I'm Chuck. And uh, we're back for another episode. And this week we are uh, international. Yeah, we're in Australia. We're going to be. Fast so, forward, uh, we're future. <laughs> we're talking, we're speaking to the future. We always uh, talk about that. It. it uh, we have uh, Jimmy with us, right? We'll tell Chuck, tell us about Jimmy. I mean, some listeners will know who Jimmy is. Well, Jimmy's from Down Under. And... Um... He um, likes kangaroos, long strolls on the marsh. Um, he likes crocodilians, and uh, he was in the into the in the um, Australian uh, Armed Forces, and um, now owns his own business. Welcome you. You've been uh, you've been on the show before. Uh, for, yes, for various things, um, and here you're back uh, to talk about some of your other stories. Uh, so real quick, I know it, it's, uh, five forty. it's like five thirty, five forty on a, uh, Wednesday for me. Are you yeah, all past midnight? What are you, where are you at? Mate, I'm, uh, 10.43 Thursday morning. Yeah. So like as a day and seven hours behind. Right. He's got the whole night behind him and still into the morning. So how have you been? Yeah. Good. Thanks, mate. Not too bad at all. Covering from surgery again, just for something different, but um, getting there. Are we? Uh, we're just uh, deciding to have surgeries nowadays willy nilly. Is that what the kids do? Yeah, pretty much. Eh? Um, instead of collecting marbles, I'm collecting scars. Hey, you know what? Uh, what do they say? Uh, uh, pain is temporary, glorious forever, and chicks take scars. Hundred percent. But. Uh, I had to go into my forearm this time, and I was more upset about them messing up my tattoos than the actual operation itself. So, well, stop. Uh, they, How they, bad? Say again. Stop How bad they messed so up? No, I got lucky. Um, I told them to charge extra uh, to make sure they lined all back up, but it's better. I think it's better. Sixty-five millimeter cut through my forearm to reattach my bicep. Oh, that's right. You completely blew that out, and you know detached now yeah that's not yeah i did it in january but just kept working and training um and it just wasn't getting any better and uh when i did see the surgeon um on a tuesday he's like you're an idiot this is the kind of thing you should leave for a couple of days not a couple of months um i'll see you friday and that was about three <laughs> weeks ago <laughs> was was it a partial or a complete uh 30 mil distal ligament tear uh Whatever that means, in wasn't it didn't fully retract. Um, one of the oh, okay. ligaments kind of held it in place, which is probably the only reason I could um, continue doing what I did. So, so it was weird. I had something similar uh, with a labral and slap tear, but uh, it was weird. Like it didn't hurt like you would expect it to. It was kind of like sore, but you're like, eh, whatever, dude. And I just kept going on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looked weird. It, it, it looked weird and it felt weird when it happens. I feel like a pop. Um, yeah. and it kind of buckled me, but then it felt a little bit better the next day and just kept training, kept pushing, kept training, um, got to a point where it just wasn't healing. So went and got the MRI and sure enough, I torn it. Yeah. 
dude. At least you just that's all you tore, you know. And it was only partial; yeah, exactly. it wasn't full retraction. But that's a bitch not of a exactly. surgery, dude. It's not yeah, fun. I don't want to have. I don't want to do. Oh, that. sound like no. Def- would not advise it. Um, the the hard part for me now is no training and um, no driving. I'm not allowed to drive for nine weeks. Drive is uh, yeah. Um, because I got manual and I did it with my left arm. Um, so your your right arm over there kind of thing but um, oh so you'd have yeah, to reach across your body yeah oh fuck yeah <laughs> um That'd be so it's just um then no working no training no driving literally uh, feel like i'm in a prison cell and it's nine weeks to that yeah wow now uh, yeah to be honest if you'd have gone sooner would it have been a shorter recovery time or is that just that's what it is no i think that's pretty standard recovery time for, for that yeah. type of surgery. Yeah. Yeah, it's I didn't do any grafts, so I was lucky. Well, what do you so now when you say training, is it just going to the gym to keep yourself in shape or are you actually uh training for an event? No, just going to the gym. I go to the gym five days a week. Um and just more mental health now. Uh, originally it was to try and build this and lose fat and all that kind of stuff. Right. But um since I haven't been in the last three weeks, I can kind of see just uh, how much going to the gym was actually helping me mentally. Um, so oh, yeah, now yeah. not going, I can definitely feel it. I feel you on that, dude. I've been doing this game for two fucking years. So I read that. I read some little bit insane about a uh, Japanese concept and what With the Harry Carey thing where they sliced their belly open or what? Is that the only thing you know about Japanese concepts? <laughs> I know I know a good amount about Japanese culture, but uh, they have this. I don't know about all their mental shit. They have this concept about balance, and they basically are are saying um, when your mind is exhausted, right? When your mind is taxed, then the only way to get yourself feeling good again is to make your body physically exhausted as well and so that's the way they justify when your brain is taxed when your brain is exhausted you need to go do exercise you need to go to the gym because the problem that is your body is having is that you're out of balance because your brain is stressed but your body is not so when you go put your body under stress you bring your body into balance because then it takes you know it takes the brain stress matches it with the physical stress It's it's just an interesting concept. To, like we always say, take your mind off Makes your and go work out. Right? It's it's always you know if you work out, you know you'll 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 focus and you'll you'll feel better and endorphins. And the Japanese are just like now nah, your body's out of balance. Your brain is tired, but your body isn't. So you need to go get your body into balance by working. Yeah, definitely. Stress. That makes it makes a lot of sense because at at work, like any law enforcement officer knows, like after a long stretch of days working whether or not you're working 410 3 312 or a 980 or whatever at the end of that stretch of days and you're at home or that first like that last shift and you're driving home you're like oh fuck thank god right your body's tired you're mentally tired your whole body is taxed and you get home and depending on how rough it was you either enjoy your days off or you're fucking in a mental prison but you're in for the most part you enjoy the time off and the days off you're like oh this is so fucking good you wake up you're like this is great i don't have to go to work and you can really enjoy and not take for granted your your days off and then say you get into an injury and you get fucked for like months at a time 
And the first maybe month or two, you're like, oh, this is fucking awesome. I'm home. It's a vacation. And then fucking reality sets in is I don't know when the fuck I'm going to get better. I don't know when I'm going to get back to doing mm-hmm. normal life. And now you don't have that work to keep you in balance. Yeah. You know, that mentally imbalanced, physically imbalanced, the whole body in a yin and a fucking yang. All right. You don't have that. And so you're all out of whack. And I think mental health comes into a big play and you know, and if you're not able to do that, do they have anything else that they do for people who can't, who are physically injured and they have mental issues going I, on? I didn't get that far into what they oh. do when you can't, That, but it was just the idea of if, you're, if your mind is taxed, you need to tax your body to balance you out. Makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Makes like sense. I've been walking the soles off my shoes, but uh, it's, it's not the same thing to actually just get into a gym here, get a punch shit, bag or throwing weights around. It's just yeah. not the same. Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. still go and watch? Like, can, is it walking distance where you can get a good walk in and just socialize and then, you know, walk back and use that as your. Yeah. I'm still knocking up you know, 10 plus, well, 12 plus Ks a day kind of thing, but where I'm living at the moment, there's no real curbing gutter. So you kind of walking on the edge of the road. Um, <laughs> A lot of industrial. Um, I think a lot of people got their licenses, um, you know, for a one day course where, you know, sticking between two white lines seems to be a full time job for most people. <laughs> so yeah. to actually make it home would be a different story about being cleaned up by a cracker jack box. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So for the listeners, Jimmy, why don't you uh, give them a reminder of um, your background in the Australian Armed Forces and then. Uh, kind of if, share whatever you want about where you're at now, and then we'll get Yeah, sweet. Yeah, mate. So I joined the Australian Army in 2003. Um, uh, my dad was in the Army um, in the same corps as I was, uh, Royal Australian Engineers, back in the day. So I grew up listening to all these war stories and how cool it sounded and what they were getting away with back in the day, which, you know, can't get away with these days. But um, – I was 18, 19, I was an apprentice plumber and, um, you know, I had a couple of hard-ass tradies that were being mean to me. So I um, thought life was difficult and uh, went and joined the army and then I found (laughs) out what it was like to be really hated. Um, (laughs) So it was a massive growing up curve. Um, Yeah, I grew up from a loving family. Um, Mum and dad did the best they could with what we had, which wasn't much. Mum was quite sick growing up. She's still alive now. Dad's in a nursing home with Alzheimer's, so, you know, tables are turned. But, um, yeah, so I did that in 2003. Went through basic training, which is about 45 days. Um, then come out, went to initial employment training, which is our IETs for our uh, core training. And that was 12 weeks at the School of Military Engineering down in um, Sydney, so it sounds like the equivalent of what we call your A school or your your MOS school where you go. Very much so. And then you get yeah. your training for what your job will be after. Yeah, exactly. So finished all that off. Got to my um, unit up in Darwin, uh, which is the top end of Australia, nice and hot and humid. Um, and I was up there for a couple of years. Didn't do much. It was Things are hyping up overseas with Afghanistan and everything else that was going on, but uh, the senior diggers and the senior troops generally got those rotations. And um, I posted out of that unit, went down to another unit in Sydney, um, and then 
once I was down there, I started doing, I had one deployment doing uh, what they would call um, border protection, um, where we spend about six months um, with the Navy, just cruising around on their ships, uh, checking for illegal uh, boats entering our waters, stuff like that. Did a lot of training with um, Dagen. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, did a lot of uh, boarding training with the Navy. Um, where one day we were doing some right training and uh, the Navy personnel were playing, you know, baddies or boat people, we were going to call them. So, you know, and the, the intel had come through was, um, you know, they got knives and stuff like this. We're like, oh, yeah, sweet, no dramas. It's all um, training. Well, this one Navy individual decided to play the game and he actually had a knife on him and he decided to um, flash towards us and as he's done that, he's actually cut open my hand. Um, so I took it upon myself to grab my baton and rearrange his ribcage. Fuck, dude. The, you're yeah, telling me this impressed. dude was, he was trying to play the opposition, but instead of like pretending and like you guys getting your training in, he actually had a knife flashed at you, connected, cut you. Yeah. I'm fully well, for fucking him up. Well, here's the thing. How are you supposed to know that he's screwing around? If somebody pulls a knife on you, okay, Fuck, dude. The closest thing is friendly fire. Right? Exactly. And so, um, you know, playing the top end of um, Australia. The Navy decks of the ship were nice and warm. So got him on the ground. Um, ensure his face had a nice imprint of the um, surface of the ship. And um, he had walked away for a few broken ribs. Now, what's, so, yeah, what's the punishment for something like that? Oh, apparently he just got carried away in the exercise. And um, the punishment was a broken ribs. Ah, okay. Yeah, so the military, they just kind of went, oh, look. You lost your mind. You paid the price for it. We're done. Exactly. I mean, yeah, the military is kind of different. Like, <clears throat> if you were to do that law enforcement training and bring a knife, I mean, you'd probably get fucking suspended and if not right. fired. In the military, yeah. I had an M16 pointed at my chest on an accident, right? I mean, he didn't bring it up. Well, I'm going to fucking kill you because we would have killed him and or he would have been, you know, if he lived and he would have been kicked out, right? But I had a in a, in a live fire... I'm up, they see me, I'm down training. Um, the dude fucking turned around with his shit up because the line block, the block instructor was talking to us, who was running us through the drills, and we were all in the fleet. He fucking turns around, woof, I'm right behind him. I didn't have a chance to fucking react. The fucking block, all you see is this is Sparta coming, big-ass fucking Danner boot. Um, center punched this dude right in the fucking chest. And uh, they beat his ass and stripped him of his weapon and sent him back to the barracks. And he got fucked up. But that was it. That was that was his punishment was an ass beating. Yeah, nobody, royal fucking ass nobody reported it. They just handled it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Just a lot of shit in the military. Like, it just gets handled like, like what you wish you could do in law enforcement and just whoop someone's ass and take them to fucking church. Used, used to, to but not anymore. So let's <laughs> let's talk about before we get to your story. Let's because, um, I mean, you've already started dropping stories on it. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about, um, you said engineers. Correct. Now, I know what the engineers do in our armed forces, and I would be assuming 
it's similar in this in the Australian armed forces. But why don't you enlighten us and explain to us what they actually do, so that we all kind of get because um, you know there are some people out there that probably think engineers are you know drawing plans and inventing things and it's like, no that's it's not we're not talking about mechanical engineers that go to college and learn math and design buildings and inventions and no military engineers the army corps of engineers at least for us is very different so what do australian military engineers do yeah i think they've they're very very similar um so our core is pretty large in what we can do but generally it's a lot of um Bridge building, um, either water crossings, mobility, countermobility in the uh, field environment, but also providing um, you know, a lot in the last 15, 20 years of uh, high research in the way of IEDs, uh, stuff okay, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, nuclear biological warfare, uh, so a lot of gas work. Um, and then we also the plant side of stuff where we can build uh, runways, towns, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we were pretty diverse core. Uh, it sounds like uh, it sounds like the the Army Corps of Engineers as well. But it's, um, in some in in some cases, we, we, like we have guys that we've interviewed that are just doing the IED explosive side of engineers, and they don't go anywhere near the construction building side of engineers. Now, is that yeah. is that similar for you guys where you do one or the yeah, other? So. Yeah, it's generally one or the other. We still have our trades. That's a separate part. So your plumbers, chippies, sparkies, stuff like that. Um, but then you have our field engineers or FEs um, that are our go-to for high research. Uh, a lot of the hands-on type labour um, for the to assist the uh, actual technical trades of um, plumbers, chippers, and stuff like that. But they also yeah. do a lot of the mobility, counter-mobility, uh, field like gin lashings, that style of the more um, infantry style work. Grunt well. work. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I know for us, uh, for our engineers in the Marine Corps, um, they're all trained in like how to erect a bridge if, if need be, and, and they've done it in country. Um, but it all serves the purpose of the the war or whatever climate that they're in. So they're in an area that's highly dense with IEDs. They have the uh, like this ground mover fucking thing that looks like an M1 Abrams that has a claw on the front or like a big grate that actually will fucking blow up mines. It'll hit the mines, it'll yeah. blow up, and then it'll shoot stakes out the back mm-hmm. to, um, to, to give you a good path. And then we have in the Navy... We have, uh, I don't know what the Army does, but I can speak for the Marine Corps and, and the Navy, but the Navy has CBs, and those dudes, yep. they erect fucking everything. Like, they build shit. Like, that, that's what I think people think of when they're like, oh, an engineer, they think of what CBs do, and those fucking guys, those are like just construction workers that carry guns, you know? Like, they're they're wild. Yeah. And they don't really do anything. Well, the CBs, I think, are, aren't they like very similar to the Army Corps of Engineers, but just for the Navy, right? Like when you see the army guys that build, yeah, they do a lot of building shit. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to like when there's a war going on, like the somebody that wants to come on, tell us. Yeah, they. If I, fuck, oh no, he's dead. They have a cool logo. Yeah, Yeah, the CBs are fucking awesome. Those dudes are fucking legit. But our guys, they taught us fucking crazy. That I went through a school with uh, our combat engineers in the Marine Corps, and. They ran us through a demo school for fucking two weeks. I think it was two weeks. 
And we learned how to make mines. We learned how to fucking play with C4 and make Sato charges and Bangalore mines and fucking blow stuff up and how to do all that cool shit. And I was like, the fuck you guys are, you guys are fucking combat engineers. What the fuck? Like, oh no, 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 we do. We don't just build bridges. We do this shit too, but it all depends upon what the needs of the military are. And they were running fucking courses and stuff for us going through. Put a building up. We can take one down just as easily. Yeah. Yeah. That's much like us. We cover, we cover demolitions as well. So we can do uh, a lot of reserve dems as well. We will go into a location, for example, a bridge, um, wire it all up, sit off the side at um, time needed, drop it. Um, But yeah, we improvised explosives as well. So make up our own. I think of like like dirty dozens stuff like that where you know they're like this is a ta- this bridge is a tactical point and we're going to send you and you're going to have to wire it up and you're going to have to blow the bridge when it when the time comes you know yeah 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 that's cool shit yeah, so uh, yeah no it was good fun I enjoyed it now what what kinds of things just for maybe somebody who's looking at different jobs in the military what kinds of things when you get out You'd say you retire from the military or you just serve your tour and you get out. What, uh, what does that carry when, over to, do you think? When it, it's better now and it's getting better. Uh, I got out in 2013 um, and pretty much I was a glorified council worker. Um, a okay. lot of my skill sets didn't transfer out into civilian street. Um, that's, a, that's a whole new hurdle altogether. It's getting better now. Um, these days, as uh, members are getting out, they're going through transition seminars. Um, they're actually getting funding to do courses to help educate them. Um, and now a lot of the stuff that's been done within the military is being recognised from the outside as well. Whereas when I got out, it was um, a lot of it was set up so they didn't transition to the outside world so i kind of forced you to stay in if you wanted to um have any kind of um trade do you think that was by design i think so i think they worked out that uh, especially in the um technical trades streams like plumbing uh, carpentry and stuff like that they would um they were leaving core modules out which wouldn't give them a nationally recognized accreditation when they got out so they'd have to go through an RPL process, um, do further education to gain the qualification that they had while they're in. So I think a lot of guys and girls are putting the almost putting the too hard basket and go, well, I'll just stay in. I'm already been paid reasonably well to to do the role while I'm in here, and if I get out, I've got nothing. That makes sense. Yeah, it's similar yeah. to what Giddy. we go through. Yeah, definitely. It's, it, like I said, it's getting better from what I'm what I'm hearing. Um, it's gotten a lot better over the years, but. You know, it's um, hopefully someone listens along the line and yeah. Crazy to think that you're all the way in Australia and different military. I was in the military over here in the United States, but they're equally as as fucked when it comes to uh, things that transfer out into the civilian world, unless you're like a doctor or like a nurse or something like that. But even our docs, you know, they were basically medics. They're paramedics, right? But when they get out, I don't believe that they have their paramedic thing. I think they can go to school and get it easier because they have like all the the course hours and stuff like that. So all they have to do is go take the test, but nothing gets transferred over um, for the most part. And I think the same thing goes for like the HVAC stuff and all those guys, like they have all the training and stuff. The only thing they have to do when they get out is go take a test, but they shouldn't have to. They should be nationally recognized 
by the time they get out. Yeah. Like our medics should come out, fucking full fledged paramedics, not have to do a damn thing. They just have to give their paperwork to the fucking, you know, the government, and they go, "Hey, yeah, I'm a paramedic," and they go, "Boom, you're a paramedic," you know. But it's it's so it's so crazy. Like you should be training our our young generation coming out who did, took time out of their life that they didn't have to do because there's no obligation right for us and you know, us to to serve in the military and they took time out to go serve they should be able to have those things that they worked for when they got out right no exactly right they've already done the training they've already got the hands-on experience they shouldn't be forced to then um, have to continue their education to do the same role they've been doing for x amount of time in the military it's should just be a given. Yeah, I agree. I I remember being pleasantly surprised that uh, my uh, credits from police academy. W- there were some colleges that would recognize not only my my academy experience, but also uh, my training, and they would give they they would give you credit for the the training you got while you were a police officer, while you were in the academy, and all that kind of stuff. So at least when I went to get my degree, I wasn't starting from zero. Um, but yeah. it should absolutely be, you know, education is education is education. It doesn't matter that you didn't get it on a, a, a university campus. You, in fact, in some ways, you got it in the real world, which is much better. Yeah, exactly right. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm studying now while I'm recovering. And um, yeah, I'm currently going through the process of the, the education part of it all, of like the onboarding and recruiting and um, hiring and firing and legislation, all that kind of stuff. And the worst part is I'm like, well, I've done this. You know, I've lived this and I've done it for a job, but because I don't have the bit of paper that says that I've, that I've done it, I'm, I'm back to square one, um, having to jump through the hoops to, to get the certification again. Right. Oh, yeah. Makes sense, dude. Funny thing, I, when I got injured, I went through the same thing and I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish my degree. And... So coming from law enforcement, I came with the military. So I already had all those credits that they would give you if you were law enforcement or military, just all the general, I had the PE, all that bullshit. Right. And it just kind of absolved it. But there was core stuff like your, your um, majors, um, your major courses, right. Where you have to take for the degree that you're getting. And I was like, dude, I've done all this. Like I should just be, there should be uh, something that I can just show them like, Hey, I've done report writing. I've done X, Y, and Z, but there wasn't. So I literally went through the the last year of my school because that's all I had left. Didn't open a fucking book once. Wrote from experience. Mm-hmm. Cited fucking sources that I knew, mm-hmm. and passed every course with an A. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much I my still mindset to now. Fucking huh? That's pretty much my mindset now. It's just like I'll yeah. just as I'm answering these Q and A's, just start answering from life experience as opposed to doctrine because you know what I'm 41 now and I've lived a life already kind of thing. It's like well. Just got to wordsmith it and make it count. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I, I'm anxious to hear what other stories you have to share. And we've spent so much time talking about uh, education. Let's let's get to the good shit. Yeah, mate. Well, I've got a couple of little stories. I don't really um, have good. one big major story sort of thing. Um, so after I finished that border patrol, which is more like a piss drinking trip, um, <laughs> I did. I did. Um, a tour over in Timor, like East Timor, which is just above Australia. Um, we went back in in 06, 07. We'd been in there since the 90s, um, helping them through civil unrest and everything else. Uh, we'd 
pulled out of there as a country. They asked us to go back in. Um, my understanding, and I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I think be accurate that um, when the Timorese government asked us to go back in in 06, the Australian government turned around and said no. Get on your own two feet, unless you give us a high percentage of your oil field. Oh, because um, Timor Sea produces a lot of crude oil. Um, and they said no. Within 24 hours, they turned around and said, all right, we'll give you X amount. And the Australian government said, yep, all right, we'll see you in 24 hours. Um, I was on the first push back into Timor back in 06. Um, a few gangs are running wild and um, trying to take over. The government was corrupt, the police was corrupt, and it was just complete civil unrest. Um, it was a bit of an eye-opener as my first proper, uh, well, it wasn't warlike, it was what they considered non-warlike, but it was still... Civil unrest, rioting, gang fights, um, looting, uh, towns being burnt to the ground, uh, IDP camps. Um, so it was a good eye-opener. Um, An IDP? Well, uh, international displaced persons. Oh, right. They pretty much just home, yeah, homeless people. So uh, entire suburbs just look like shanty towns with all these people they're, that had lost. Is that because they were all burnt to the fucking ground due to the civil unrest? Correct. So that was a internationally displaced people. In reality, they're fucking people that are left homeless because their neighborhoods have been destroyed by war and rioting. Yeah, exactly right. And then you have all these NGOs walk in. Um, there's non-government organisations like Cross, yeah, UN Aid, and all the rest of the UNICEF. And um, yeah, and I learned just how corrupt. They are. Oh my god, um, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> exactly, but they're all in there, white waving the white flag, and they're doing absolutely fucking nothing to help these people. Um, and there was a lot of the writing still going on, so there's a lot of um, wasn't so much um, long arm or pistol type, but it was all very uh, farm farm type. Weaponry with machetes and a lot, of, a lot of hacking. Yeah, and they'd make um, their own blow darts out of, say, four six-inch nails. They'd um, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, they'd um, heat Holy the tip, shit. hammer it flat, put a um, hook on it like you see on a fishing hook that so would go in, but it wouldn't come out. And um, like a barb. But, yeah, so they'd fire them at each other and then they'd fire them at us because we're trying to break them up. Um, and, yeah, I remember one night I was sitting on a um, – just on a guard duty at the front gate and it was absolutely pitch black and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face kind of thing. And um, all of a sudden you just hear this, you know, pitter-patter up the road kind of thing and it's just like, oh, okay, that's that's different. And then um, all of a sudden this naked Timorese man goes – Screaming past us, just absolutely starkers. And um, next thing you know, there's about 40 or 50 guys chasing down the road. Um, I he did something wrong or pissed someone off, but didn't get a chance to put clothes on before he had to bug out. So that was that was comical. We're just sitting there going, right, yeah, that, that's a bit different. But, um, you know, then... It's not a big place. Yeah. Say again? Like, Timor is not a big place. No, it's not. It's, it's not overly that big. Um, but yeah, they just couldn't stand their own two feet because the government, police, and everything was corrupt. 
they gave room for these militia to come through and just start taking what they want. Right. Was this more of like an indigenous community? Yeah, there's definitely um, like they are their own people. It's not multi-race kind of thing. Um, you had your um, pretty much team reads. It's right on the border of um, some other countries. So there was always a lot of issue around the borders and who owned what land and they've been fighting for a long time. But um, within themselves, you had a couple of these militia groups trying to take power and they'd all fight each other and unfortunately people get caught up in the middle and that's what we're kind of brought in to try and um, what? blow down, if not what? stop. Tribal people fighting for power like warlords? That's, that's Yeah, no. I, and, and that's I exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, um, you know, one day we had um, civilian chefs uh, working these, um, I guess, FOBs where we're situated. It was Christmas time, so it made these rumbles. But what the officers didn't know is we'd worded him up to actually – these guys were free to move as they see fit um, – to actually put rum in the rumbles. So – yeah, I mean, come Christmas time, you got all these diggers hanging around these fridges, just absolutely smashing these rumbles, and um, no one could work out why. And you know, by the end of the day, you end up two parts pissed, smashing all this. Um, that that all diabetic, but um, yeah, it was a riot later that day, and we're all trying to drive four drives down to where this um, riot had broken out. Chip and. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, interesting's a word. So, yeah, it probably wouldn't get away with it these days. But um, look, it was a good deployment. I remember uh, we're in the middle of one riot, and um, one of our uh, senior NCOs he'd um, panicked driving a four wheel drive. She'd been surrounded, and um, she accidentally ran over this poor bugger on a moped. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> The jokes, yeah, themselves, ladies and gentlemen. Like and a Humvee? No, it's like a light armored four wheel drive kind of thing, like a little Land Rover. And um, oh, okay. we're just standing there watching it, just going, She didn't do that. And next thing you know, she because old mate is still hanging off the bull bar, she's panicked, <laughs> gone to reverse. No, fucking hanging on, yeah, gone back over him. And then because she's felt the, the um. The bump of him under the wheel, she's panning, gone forward again. So this poor bugger, still, still hanging on for bringing what's Went left. Went over him three times. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, to make it even funnier, this I say funny because you know black humor gets through through some shitty spots, but yeah. um, this poor bugger then goes to stand up, and his whole shin bone just tore straight through his leg. Oh, like, well, fuck, dude. I'll give you A oh. for effort. But, okay, well, uh, first of all, he's alive. Mate. Oh, yeah, yeah no, nah, he was screaming. Yeah, so we're just standing there watching it. It's just like a comical show. It's just like, oh, she's got him. Oh, God, she's going back over him. Oh, no, she's got him again. Oh, fuck me, he's standing up. Oh, he won't be now. That's disgusting. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Man, to think yeah. that she just, like, fuck. You know, honestly, I've seen something like that uh, in person uh, on the job in, in law enforcement. And, uh yeah. It's funny when it's not happening to you. Oh, yeah. It's not happening to you. It's like, no, that didn't just happen. That's not fucking real. No, how the fuck does it happen? And uh, I watched a cop, another cop get ran over by another female. 
at a perimeter that we were running to. Was and, it cop on uh, cop? It was cop on cop. Yeah. <laughs> it was her partner. Oh. Oh fuck. Yeah, we're running to a fucking I think it was a code 37 stolen vehicle and come up to the perimeter. Um, the car fucking guy bails. She goes to throw it into to park, doesn't put it in the park. She leaves it in drive. So she just hits the brake. She doesn't throw it up. She just hammers the brake. Pops and partner's already out, right? Right. Partner's out. Um, or she threw it into reverse. I'm sorry. I think she threw it in reverse. And he gets out and he stands behind the door. And then all of a sudden the fucking car starts moving back. So instead of hopping in, she just let the car run over him. And then someone else had to run in and get in the car because the fucking police vehicle is running over this poor bastard. And uh, she just jumped. Out, so it's, she, would, was she unable to jump back in? It sounds like she, she, she was just in the car <laughs> and she was like, panic. I don't know way what better. Like, <laughs> fuck. Oh my God. What direction do I go? Your shin bone popped out. Fuck me. Oh, yeah, no, it was it was very interesting. Like, yeah, used to go watch him stand up, and we're like, you know, just observing. Like, oh, I probably wouldn't want to do that, mate. And next thing you know, goes to stand up, and wish guy actually comes. Fuck, dude. It's like those dudes yeah. in the UFC who break their shin on a shin kick, and they get checked, oh, and they no. snap it, and they no. go to stand. And you just watch it, just whoop. Nope. <laughs> I can literally tell you the call where I stopped being able to handle videos or or pictures where bones are broken. Like I, I it's not, if I have to deal with it, I'll deal with it. But if I don't have to deal with it, I'm not going to voluntarily look at that stuff anymore. And it was, I, I nah. literally can remember the, 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 the call that did it to me <laughs> where I was just like, yep, I don't ever need to see that again. <laughs> oh my God. It's hilarious. I mean, it's not, yeah. it was awful, but it's funny now. Well, yeah, I mean, you, it's so when I laugh about this stuff, I laugh about the effect it had on me, right? Yeah. Like, I think about the effect it had on this kid. Well, I guess I, I might as well just tell it. Um, so one of my partners was rolling code three to a fire because, um, you know, the fire guys weren't awake yet. Um, or if they, they maybe they were putting away their, you know, root beer floats and turning off. <laughs> um, but. Uh, he was rolling code three to this fire at two in the morning down a dark highway out of town. So you had to take this highway and it had street lights up to a point. And then once you were like reaching the point where you're leaving town, there was no more street lights. And he, at the very end, towards the end of town, he had to hook a left to go to this house that was on fire. And a stupid ass 17 year old kid had snuck out of his house and taking his dirt bike out for a joyride to see someone, see a friend of his. And as he's riding back into town on this, you know, highway, um, he comes out of the blackness out of nowhere as the police car is coming around the bend to turn the, the left turn onto this street, code three, and hit the bike goes straight into the push bars. And he goes up over the hood and cracks his helmet on the spotlight that's, you know, on the driver's side of the car. And I just remember my, my partner putting out, uh, TC, I just TC'd into a motorcycle running code three. I need, get me medics now. It's like, well, shit, they're already going to the fire, boy. Um, so I get there 
And here's this 17-year-old kid. Helmet's completely cracked. Like, it's split in half, basically. Saved his life. Um, and he's laying on the ground trying to get up. Well, he had broken his leg in five places. And so one of the, he had like two femur fractures, a knee fracture, and two tibia fractures. And then his ankle. And so he was trying to stand up, but his leg was unable to move at the foot. It was only able to move at the hip. So he, his left, his left leg was moving as his right leg tried to move. It would bring up the, the femur at the hip, but then it wasn't connected to anything. So it would flop because the, the foot wouldn't come off the ground. So as he tried to stand up, all you see is this rope of a leg flipping and flopping <laughs> to the left <laughs> and to the right. And, uh, and I'm going, oh, my God, don't stand up, dude. And he's trying to stand up. So we, we pin him down to the ground to get him to keep him from standing up. And I'm holding his, his right arm. And my partner's holding his left arm to keep this kid from standing up. And then he just starts screaming in agony. And I'm going, what the fuck just happened? Like, he, obviously, he's in pain, but he's trying to stand up. And now he's just screaming. Well, we didn't know. Both of his forearms were broken. So as soon as we started to pin him to the ground, all, we, we pin these broken bones with our hands to keep him from standing up on this messed up leg. And he starts screaming, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. And 17-year-old kid, which is terrible. And it's like, all right, get him loaded into the bus. I got to go notify the parents. Everybody else is still going to the fire. <laughs> so I go wake dad up at 2.30 in the morning, and I'm like, sir, uh, I, I just want to tell you, your son's alive, but he's been in an accident. He was, he's, he's like, he, he snuck his motorcycle out. No headlight, no, no, I mean, it's a dirt bike. No headlights, nothing. Two in the morning, just completely blacked out. And so that's how he ended up striking this police car, you know, blah, blah, blah. I said, if you, if, does your wife live with you, sir? Because your son is asking for his mother. And that was the gut punch was when the, the dad looked at me and this I knew this kid had been screaming for his mom. And the dad looked at me and said, his mom's been dead for two years. Mm. And the, it just dawned on me the amount of agony that this kid had must have been in. And all he wanted was his mom. And the kid either was so completely fucked mentally or in so much pain, it didn't matter that he couldn't remember his mom was dead and he was just screaming at my mom. And I was like, fuck. So then I go back to the station to, to hang out with my partner. Who's the one that hit him. And, uh, that was it. That was like, I never have to see a compound fracture. I, I don't ever need to see broken bones again. I'm good. That one, that one will, will care. That one will stay with me. The rope leg will stay with me for the rest of my life. And I, I I've seen bones sticking out. I can still handle pictures of bones sticking out, but watching it snap, watching it flop like that, looking at bones like a rubber band. Now I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> if I can deal with it, if I have to, but if somebody sends me an MMA video of somebody snapping their leg, I'm like, no, I'll, 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 I'll take a pass. Very cool too. Uh, so. Uh, so that was, uh, that was probably the, Timor wasn't too bad. It wasn't. It was just different. It was a bit of a warm up for um, Afghan when I ended up being deployed to Afghanistan. That was a um, that was a whole new level altogether. Yeah, you think Timor and Afghanistan? Yeah, or, or... yeah, yeah. We um, we were based out of um, 
powering cow in a multinational uh, facility based in Tarrant Cow. But um, we didn't spend a lot of time on the larger base. We were more so out and about building, building the um, FOBs and those style of works. Our, our main role in Afghanistan was meant to be a, a reconstruction task force. Um, but, you know, I guess it was a very uh, old mentality of if we build stuff for them there, they'll appreciate us and they'll stop trying to kill us kind of thing or they'll stop fighting or they won't be uh, ruled by the Taliban because it's down their own feet. Hey, don't shoot at us. We built you a school. Yeah, didn't quite work that way. Um, but, yeah, that was that was very interesting of a tour. Um, it wasn't an overly kinetic tour, but, um, yeah, we'd still have rockets um, come in. There's the old, I think it was 107-millimeter Chinese rockets. Um, oh, right. And they were very accurate. Um, you know, you learned very quickly to respect the enemy in the sense that anyone that can put a rocket up against a couple of rocks and use a um, timer, timer out of a um, washing machine to have a delayed fuse and put it two, three Ks away and get it within 50 metres of its target. Like you've, wow. you've got to give them a level of respect. But it, it was funny because when you talk to other people that aren't military or LEO and you try and explain that, you know, oh, when we got our first rocket attack, that, you know, it was like a sigh of relief, like we're here to do our job, we can actually get the job done now. But you say it to civvies and then it's like, you're mad. But well, no, like we're doing our job. Like that's what we're waiting for. Um, yeah, almost right. the first gunfight. You know, it was like until you get that first fight out of the way, everyone's just knocking at each other. Everyone's stress and anxiety through the roof. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember the first time we got rocketed. You'd hear the boys cheering, and I remember just sitting back, just listening, just going, "If anyone was on the outside looking in right now, they'd think we're all nuts." Right. Because right. it's just a sire just that sigh of relief that, wait, okay, now we can do our job. We can do what we're here to, here to, to do. But um, it was um, funny because one day we were, um, we were down off one of the fobs we just built uh, off the Chora Valley. Uh, sorry, Baluchi Valley. And um, where they, whoever sighted it, an officer of some description, um, put us on this little spur line feature, but just probably within a hundred meters of where we situated was one of those shallow grave sites. Oh, so it was one of those family orientated grave sites, and um, some of the things you'd hear of a nighttime come from that direction, like it was just really eerie. Um, like people but- crawling out. <laughs> Yeah, mate, I'll tell you what, I'm not an overly religious person, but I'll tell you what, like, there's got to be more out there than, um, than what we can see kind of thing because oh, yeah. Yeah, some of the some of the things you, you hear and think you see or you don't see, it's just kind of like, okay, there's something else going on here. Like what? But um, like oh, just like you can just take in. Like ghosts? Yeah. Like it's just really weird and hard to describe what like, you Think you see something, you look back there, and you don't see it, or um, I, you're preaching to the choir. I believe in it, so you can tell me you saw whatever you and I yeah. will. 
Oh, mate, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. It's like, okay, sweet, this ma- massive desert and you're going to put an FOB right on a fucking graveyard. Like, are you kidding me? Right. So, Hey, we've all seen those um, movies, you know. <laughs> oh, mate, there. I'll tell you what, but uh, it was um, – Is it like people – see- you think you see people standing there and then they're not standing there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I'm either super tired or something else is going on. Well, once yeah, but- super tired – multiple times is not super tired. Yeah. See, we were there for summer too. So you'd only have three hours of darkness. And typical military is like, oh, if it's daylight, you can work. No shit. And then when only it's three not, hours of darkness? Yeah. yeah. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Like three hours of complete darkness. Um, so they're like, oh, well, the sun's up. You can work. And then when you're not, on, when you're not working, you can do double-staggered picket because that's what we do. Like, okay, sweet. But um, Fuck. yeah, we're down the bottom one day, and um, we'd have ICOM chatter, which is like a um, you know, we had the t- interpreters sitting in the back of one of the vehicles with um, some technology way above my pay grade, but we could listen into the ICOM chatter that were surrounding us, right? And um, we could hear these um, Taliban going, "Oh yeah, look, there's." X amount there, they're moving into position, they're doing this, they've got this much machinery, and they're literally identifying us um, with what we're wearing, how we're moving, the amount of machinery we've got, and um, they're watching us and moving into a um, targeted attack. Anyway, wow. we're sitting there with, listening to them, and um, by this stage we had enough uh, evidence within our rules of engagement to um, take out the, the spotter. Anyway... Um, the so you knew where the spotter was? Yeah, well, the technology that we had would give you a um, bearing in a uh, rough distance God. as to where oh, the uh, ch- chatter was coming from. So you kind of knew where to look. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we had fast air on, on channel, and um, they've come along, done a few gun runs, uh, and then the, the idiot decides to get back on the radio and going, oh, they missed. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's great. <laughs> so you see the um, fast air Maybe. turn around and drop two 500-pound bombs and Fuck. level the feature. Yeah. Needless to say, there was no more chatter after that. Wow. Yeah, it was... Uh, and and it was, that, that, kids, that was, is why you use encrypted fucking radios. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, uh, Measure and, twice, uh, cut once. If it doesn't fit, get a bigger hammer. Yeah, but just to hear him go, oh, they missed. It's just like, oh, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't you keep your mouth shut? That's like, oh, yes, you got me. I am dying. Uh. Uh, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. But but um, they they were very they were smart in how they operated too because they would learn our ROEs. Um, and at times I'd say they probably knew them better than us. So they do the old shoot and boot. You know, shoot at us, drop the weapons around the back of a hut, walk out and go, oh, no, it wasn't us. Because they're not armed and a direct threat, you just got to let them pass kind of thing, um, which is very frustrating. But um, it's just one of those things. That's that's just the frustrations of war. Like, that, they know your role better than you. Yeah. Well, um, that's similar to police officers dealing with gang members or experienced criminals who know just how far they can push it and what you are and are not allowed to do to them. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. It's always the best at vindicating feeling, though, when 
they think they know it and they and they don't they have it just quite there and they do something oh, and then you're like oh you're fucking mine dude yeah. and they're like well you can't do this like do the fuck i can yeah my favorite one and this is I, i'm not giving away secrets you're dumb if you fucking believe this but my favorite one was always if you're undercover you have to tell me no i fucking don't <laughs> <laughs> I, I i absolutely do not I, I can fucking lie my ass off uh but you know people believe that shit so yeah, I, I can, I tell people one of the most frustrating things about any ROE, whether it's military or police or whatever, when you see a fucking bad guy, and I mean, you, you should get a degree in human psychology or in bad guy psychology by the time you've done the job long enough, right? You know, a fucking bad guy when you see one, like, I know you were shooting at me. I know you were just robbing this place i know you were just burglar i know you're dealing dope i know it mm-hmm. I, I i can i just i fucking know it i don't i can't prove it but i fucking know it you get and, good at reading body language yeah but you have to let them go and it's it's knowing bad guys are bad guys and being powerless to do anything about it until you sometimes just get lucky and catch them in the act you know, we used to say we only catch the dumb ones. Well, I'm sure it's the same. You know, you know, Allah is great. They missed me. The only reason you smacked that dude with two 500-pound bombs is because he didn't have the common sense that God gave a donkey to stay off the radio. If he had just shut the, shut the hell up, they wouldn't exactly. have they'd assumed they got him. Yeah. We only catch the... Yeah, we had, exactly. We, we had a few close calls um, during that tour. Um I remember going back to Tarrant Cout, the main the main multinational base, and um, we were pretty much refitting to go back out the next day. Anyway, the, the geeks had come down to the compound, and they are looking at our vehicles, and they are going, oh, have you guys been out yet? Like, yeah, we've just come back, and we're going back out again soon. He goes, oh, how far did you go? We're like, oh, we've been out for the last few months. And they're like, yeah, okay. Um, the problem is is that the... Um, ECM, what the electronic countermeasures that was uh, meant to be on the vehicles to, to stop any kind of uh, remote detonation for IEDs, none of it had been working. So we were under the um, false pretense that the uh, ECM on our vehicles were working, but we've been out playing playing games in the desert uh, with no actual electronic countermeasure protection at all. Right. So that was a bit of an eye-opener. Yeah, it's always nice to know that all the stuff you assumed was working for you is not in place. Exactly. It's like, oh, well, you didn't get it so far, so just keep going. And that's the other thing, too, is now you're pot committed, right? There's no, like, now you just, you're almost like, I wish I didn't know that because I was was much happier when I thought it was working. (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Oh, God. um, We're building this... um, River crossing, um, uh, which was a much, it was much like an all-weather river crossing. Uh, I remember the comical part of it was the bags of um, cement because we were just making everything on hand, uh, by hand on site kind of thing. The bags of cement that we were loading up were 50 kilo bags, but they were literally printed on it, um, made in Pakistan, not to be used in Pakistan. <laughs> Uh, made in Pakistan. Also, not to be used in Pakistan. I'm just like, what's going on here? Like, 
this was Pakistanis like we don't want you to use it against us yeah it's just like what's in this shit like if they're not allowed to use it in their own country then it must be full of the good stuff right but um I like the COVID that say made in China and I'm like we know (laughs) yeah exactly but uh, down there one day we um got rocketed and and some direct fire and stuff like that but um this one day the ter- the interpreter has been saying for a while oh yeah suicide bomber suicide bomber like yep yeah, okay saying for a while now that the intel reports are coming through saying they'll starting to do um more probing attacks and stuff like that all right no dramas and um this one day this perp come out of the um the the, the tree area water's a ghost I'm like, well, what's going on, mate? And he's like, suicide bomber. I'm like, yeah, okay, we've heard that. Next thing you know, you see a two two males walking down the um, creek bed. Um, one was a very eighty year old gentleman. One was a I don't know eight year old boy kind of thing. <sighs> and um, one was the, exactly one was the uh, you know the old poker face. You know, slide the hand, let one through kind of thing. Um, Long story short, I was just testing out TTPs on how we react, how how close they could get to the the main body of men working kind of thing. But it was a um, it, it was a probing attack to actually see how close they could get to us before they could um, push the real thing in. Um, right. and it was just lucky run. that the, yeah, exactly. It was just lucky the Turk went wide as a ghost because if it wasn't for that, we probably wouldn't have listened to him. Um, but yeah, that was that was an interesting day. I remember walking up to him, trying to yeah you know, ascertain if it was the real deal or um, just a dry run. And I remember just thinking to my daughter as I'm walking up, going, "Well, the last thing going through my head is the her face kind of thing." Um, yeah. But just those just those little things. They you know at the end of the day they they all bank up and you know, they play havoc on your head. Um, and back then I'm. Yeah, like my brother's still in these days, and it's, it's gotten a lot better. But back then, there was no such thing as mental health or anything like that. You got home, get your mouth shut, and continue the fight, kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, I, you know, it just ma- it, it doesn't matter what you do. If you go over and you put yourself in harm's way. You are exposing yourself to crazy shit. There's no, there's no reason why it wasn't that day, other than it wasn't that day, right? It's, yeah, exactly. You yeah. talk to cops. What? Well, well, why are you alive? Well, because the guy didn't decide to kill me. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of <clears throat> there's a lot of survivors, I guess, guilt. You know, especially with law enforcement and, and military. There's a, definitely a lot of it. You know, why? Why them, not me? Or you know, why didn't I fucking die on that call? Or you know what? Yeah, there's a bunch of that. You know, right? Even and people are like, "Oh, but you you lived and everything is is good and you should feel better." And you're like, "But yeah, but it's still mind fucking to be like, I came so fucking close, right? How the fuck did that not just end poorly?" Yeah, it's so yeah. for for anybody that wants to see this moment of realization played out on film, go watch Pulp Fiction, and towards the end of the movie. Guy comes out of the bathroom and blasts at Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta from feet away. And yes, I know the editing's bad and the bullet holes appear behind them before he 
actually pulls the trigger. But what Samuel Jackson ends up saying is, we should be dead. We should be dead. And he starts talking about how divine intervention, it's a miracle, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, you can't escape this realization of, I should be dead. I, yeah. I there is, I don't, I can't, I have no explanation for why I am not dead. And hence the expression, there are no such thing as atheists in a foxhole. Yeah. And I guess one of those hard things too is that the longer you do the job or the longer you deploy it or the more deployments you do, you almost feel like you're stretching that elastic band to a point where it's, it's got yeah. to break at some point. And right. what's that going to look like? Is it going to be an injury or is it going to be death? Um, right. I've gotten away with it this long. I can't get away with it much longer. And then you almost go, you know, you know I'll, I'll probably carry it today where, you know, like, oh, well, I'm not dead yet, so what am I going to slow down now kind of thing? But, yeah, you know, nothing's killed me yet. And um, Then you start getting a little self-destructive. Yeah, and you probably take risks that you wouldn't normally take. Yep. Um, I'm invincible! You know, yeah, start poking the bear. Mm-hmm. Then at some point the bear bites and you're like, well, that was silly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like I was, I think I was in country for, oh, geez, it wasn't even a week, a week or a month, I don't remember. But um, an Australian soldier was killed and uh, it, was, it was a guy from Sydney and his son was in the same class as my daughter. They both went to the same school. And they were in like kindy year one kind of thing. And um, I remember my wife at the time telling me like um, the son had gone to school and said, oh, my dad died in Afghanistan. And my daughter heard that and she broke down and went, well, that's where my dad is. Um, is you know, obviously one and one equals kind of thing. So it's, um, it's hard trying to carry the weight from back home at the same time to, as well as trying to do your job. Um, yeah, it's uh, it carries a massive burden. Like my daughter, she was a day and a half old when I joined the military, um, and yeah, I probably missed more of her life in those ten years than I was around. Yeah, um, they say it's I, only been oh no, good recent. Sorry, it's only been recent times where I've actually started to build that relationship again. Yeah, um, yep. because. Unfortunately, it didn't work out with her mother and I. Um, things got quite nasty after I got home. Um, I wasn't well. I didn't know what it was. Obviously, um, the demons get the better of you sometimes. And uh, back then, it was, um, you know, just get on with your job. Don't talk about it. And, um, you know, men don't cry kind of thing. <laughs> right. And the well, boys that did. <clears throat> sorry. Oh, I was just going to finish finish your thought, then I have something to say. I was just going to say, like, uh, when we did get home, one of the boys did, did step up and go, I'm not doing well. And um, the Army's response was put him in a um, like a normal hospital bed on, on a military base under 24-7 suicide watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and make him feel so even clear. It makes it worse. Exactly. That cost him his career, cost him his family. So mm-hmm. everyone else just shut shop and closed their mouths. So, yeah, I'm fine. Familiar. Everyone knows how to answer the questions. Getting home, yep, I'm eating, I'm sleeping. You know, honeymoon phase, you know, everything's great, not drinking that much, when in reality, it's the uh, other way around. Yep. You're drinking the cope and everything. But to, as we're getting ready to close out, you see, I want to 
ask one thing and then we'll get into um uh our dedication but you said you weren't doing hot and you know um the demons were getting the better of you you're obviously doing a lot better now what can you tell other people that may be struggling um now uh, and how you overcame what you were going through it's not wait to speak that's pretty much what it is yeah you think you're the only one out there going through it i promise you now you're not um, yeah you're it, well yeah yeah that's what this show proves if anything else no exactly right and you know what if um someone's going to give you crap for speaking up then they're not a true friend yeah fuck them brother exactly they're not worth you not worth your time yep i learned so, who my real friend i left say again sorry I I realized I learned who my real friends from the department were when I had to leave. Yep. No, exactly. There's, there's a lot of people that I thought were my brothers and they're not. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a harsh reality. But, um, you know, if you, you want to better yourself, you can't hang around people like that. Yep. Right. Well, I guess uh, Jimmy is not providing a dedication in this episode, but Chuck does have one. Yeah. <clears throat> So uh, this is not an on-duty related death. This is, uh, I just got off work, um, which I think should be on-duty related, but for some reason they don't have it categorized in ODMP. Um, an officer was leaving work and going home um, and died. Uh, an off-duty LAPD officer died on his way home uh, from work on the 210 freeway crash. An off-duty Los Angeles police officer was killed on his way home from work early uh, Saturday when the car he was driving collided with the back of a stalled semi-truck on the 210 freeway in Baldwin Park, police said. Officer Vladimir Sandoval um, was driving his 2018 Honda around uh, 02.30 when the accident occurred. Police said the truck was stalled in an eastbound lane of the freeway near Barranca Avenue. According to news release from California Highway Patrol, the driver of the truck, who had stopped while authorities investigated another collision ahead of him, had switched on the truck's hazard lights. According to CHP, the truck driver was not injured. LAPD Police Chief Michael Moore identified Sandoval in a tweet Saturday morning and said the department was grieving our loss of a peacemaker. Sandoval was 38 and worked in the police department uh, central division. It's with great sadness I shared this that earlier this morning. A police officer on his way home from work was involved in traffic collision on the 210 freeway, Moore said in a statement. I send my deepest condolences to his family and loved ones and friends as we mourn this tragedy. Well, <sighs> rest easy, brother. We've got it from here. Um, it's always rough when you hear of an officer who just got off work. We've all been there, been tired, maybe work overtime. And you've always had those near death fucking, Oh shit. I just fell asleep and woke up and yeah, micro sleep, you know? Yeah. And then you wake up, you're like, Ooh, fuck. I need to roll down my window, whatever, but stereo roll down my window, stomp my foot. It's, it's crazy. Like, Hey, if you guys are out there and you're, you're working, you just worked a long shift. You're tired. Fuck. Take it, take a little, uh, take a little cat nap real quick. Yeah. And be a good supervisor. If you're a fucking Sergeant, let your, tell your guys, Hey, I don't want you out there unsafe. Come to the station, pull into the back lot. It's three in the morning. Just turn your radio up, turn your lights off and oh. take a cat nap for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes and then go back out. Don't, don't crash a patrol car and don't crash on the way home because 
your fucking supervisor doesn't recognize that sometimes it's really hard to stay up through the night, especially when you're not going call to call to call. And there, despite the fact there are a lot of agencies in, that do go call to call to call, there are way more agencies that don't. And yeah. when they roll up them sidewalks, it gets real lonely at night. So yeah. rest easy. Fortunately. Fortunately, he's working central, so I don't know. Oof, that might be tough, but well, and sometimes it's mentally like your your brain is ready to shut off because you've seen too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just I fucking feel for that that man's family. Uh, I feel yeah. for his friends and everything because that's a tough one. We've all we've all been tired and driving, and it's gets some it gets scary sometimes. Well, Jimmy, we always have we always enjoy hearing from you, whether it's an email form or a direct message form, or especially having you on. I, I know you've got the rest of your day ahead of you, so I appreciate you coming on and uh, dealing with the time difference. Uh, we, we all love having you on, and anytime you want to come on, you're, you're more than welcome to. Hope your arm heals up pretty good, and let us know when you can get yeah, thanks. driving. Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah. no, always keen to come back on. Of uh, can alleviate on uh, emails I've sent through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Which will yeah. be uh, a different topic altogether. All but, different um, topics. I love those. Yes, yes. As, Chuck, what do uh, you got for us? Nah, Say again? What do you got for us? Well, I just want to say thank you, Jimmy, for coming on. And we look forward to reading those emails uh, as they come in. They're pretty funny. And some of them have been uh, pretty pretty real, you know. So yeah. We're always here if, if anyone ever needs a talk or anything like that. And that goes for you too, man. Um, but I want to say, everyone, thanks uh, for listening today. If you like the podcast and the content we provide, please help us out by rating us and reviewing us on Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you subscribe to. Our podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms as well as on YouTube. Reviews and ratings are how podcast platforms decide what to recommend. So your reviews really help us grow the show. Yeah, also, sure. please. Yeah. Also, please give us a follow on Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, please like and share our posts uh, when we do post them. Um, if you click the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook, you'll be able to reach all of our socials, media sites, and our website. Another way to support us is by visiting our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com and grab some of our merch. We have uh, some shirts, patches, and stickers, and Wobby Hoodie is still available. If you think you have a story to tell and you want to be a guest on the show, please email your info and a brief description of your story to us at booking.warstories at gmail.com. So I can get you booked. We are always looking for veterans, law enforcement, firefighters, and medics, but also corrections, dispatchers, and nurses. Yeah. If you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us and give them our booking email. Again, thank you for the support. Stay safe. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.